0: You're listening to audio from Queen City Church. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message will encourage you and offer practical steps for a relationship with God that keeps getting better and better. We are in week seven of a series called This Is Us. And this is a series where we are teaching through our 10 values as a church. And our values are a very big deal around here. We've actually had these values since even before we became a church. And these values, they really are more than just these statements that you can find on signs in our lobby or a page on our website. Really, these values are what makes us uniquely us as a church. In other words, our values really are our DNA. And so if you've ever wanted to know what is this church all about, then you really have to look at our values. And so far we've talked about six out of our 10 values. In week one, we talked about Jesus is our message. That is the first value every single time we list our values, that our message is not Religion. Our message is not behavior modification. It's not this list of do's and don'ts that our message is and always will be Jesus. And in week two, we talked about people are our priority, that we're always going to prioritize people. And then in week three, we talked about unity is our pursuit. And the reason why it's our pursuit is because unity will never come naturally, like we'll never drift towards unity. Unity is always uphill, so we have to pursue it. In in week four, we talked about passion is our response. And when we think about what God has done in and through us and for us, that the only logical response is passion. In week five, we talked about honor is our posture, that we will be people who consistently take the posture of honor. And then We talked last week, we actually talked about this one, that excellence is our standard, that we're going to always hold to this standard of excellence because excellence, it honors God and it inspires people. And this week, if you're you're taking some notes, we're going to be talking about a very important value, this value, that our city is our responsibility, that our city that we call home the city of Cincinnati That it is our responsibility. Just how many of you, just by show of hands, you would say, I love our city. I love Cincinnati. Come on, put your hand up in the air real high if you love our city. Come on, I love our city. I love it so much. In fact, I feel like God's given me what I call a supernatural love for the city. Uh, meaning that I'm gonna, I'm gonna buy my burial plot here and I'm gonna love and serve this city till the day I die. I love this city. There is no more. I think that I'm home or I feel that I'm home. No, I know that I'm home. I didn't grow up here, but I got here as fast as I could, everybody. So like, I love this city. Our city's amazing. If you look around our city, you'll see that our city is full of amazing people. I'm telling you some of the best people on planet Earth are in our city. I know it cuz I'm looking at all y'all. Some of the best people on planet Earth are right here in this room. I'm telling you our city is full of amazing people. It's an amazing culture. It's an amazing art. I mean just go around look at the murals, blink. Come on everybody. It's amazing. I love it. And Let's just pause just for a moment and let's give God praise for the food. I mean, just unbelievable. Just God is good. God is good. And the chili, come on, the restaurants, so good. I mean, just our city is awesome. I love it. I love it. Author Charles Dickens, um, he actually said this about Cincinnati. He said that Cincinnati is a beautiful city, cheerful, thriving, and animated I have not often seen a place that commends itself so favorably and pleasantly to a stranger at the first glance as this does. Our city's awesome. And yes, Cincinnati is a beautiful city. But the truth is, if you and I just turn on the nightly news, or if we do a quick Google search, we'll also see that not only is it a beautiful city, but it also, in certain ways, is a broken city. Like If you just do a quick search, you'll see some social stats of this city that we call home that will absolutely break your heart. Some things like 28.4% of people live in poverty. And out of that, 40% of kids live in poverty in our city. And by the way, the national average for that is 20% that you'll see that the crime rate is 107% higher than the national average and that the violent crime rate is 123% higher than the national average. We all know and are probably have been affected in some way by the rampant opioid addiction that is in our city. That maybe you have even personally been affected or your family has been affected. Maybe you've even lost somebody that's close to you because of an overdose that happens way too frequently in our city because because our state, by the way, is, is the highest stats of this than any other state in all of America. And then as of 2017, that our city would be categorized as the fifth most segregated city in the United States. And that's just the social stats, but if you take a look at the spiritual stats of the city, you'll see some things that absolutely break your heart as well. You'll see that 34%, over one out of three, of people in our, in our population, in our city, are unchurched. And then if you deep dive into the actual demographics and the, the age breakdowns, you'll see that 52% of people under the age of 40 are unchurched in our city. And by the way, all this was before the pandemic. Our team wasn't able to really find anything that's like right here, right now. This what's happening today. But here's what is crystal clear is that everything bad over the last two years has gone up. Everything, not just these on the screens but everything else that's there. And let's just be honest for a moment. Let's be honest and recognize the fact that it's so easy for all of these things to just simply be statistics and numbers. Like it's so easy to be able to see those things and it, and it like, it makes you sad, but it's so easy just to be able to say, well, that's just a number. That's just a stat. Here's the truth. The truth is it's human nature that when numbers like this get larger and larger, things like empathy and compassion gets lower and lower. In fact, this week, I heard a quote that lit me up this week. And the quote was this, is that the loss of one life is tragic, but the death of millions is a statistic. Think about that. It's so easy to even associate that with what you see up here. It's like the, the, a bunch of statistics of, of people in poverty is a stat and a number. But when you know one person that's in poverty, it's a crisis. And so it's so easy that when these numbers get bigger and bigger for things like compassion, empathy, care, concern, to just keep getting lower and lower. But hear me, please. These are not just statistics. This is not just simple stats and numbers. When you look up there and you see numbers like that, those numbers are people. Are real people who are in our city, who we see all the time, that we're in traffic jams with, that, that are in the same grocery store that we shop in, that may be in our neighborhoods or in our offices. I'm telling you, these are real people with real names and real stories. Like these are real kids that go to bed in our city every day hungry. Like these are real people whose lives and whose families have been absolutely destroyed by addiction. Like these are real people who live every single day with the very real consequences and effects of segregation and racism. Like these are real people who are lost and far from God, who don't have a relationship with God, who don't know Jesus as their Lord and as their savior that will not get this experience heaven. Like these are real people. And the Bible says that they're not just people. Jesus says that they're our neighbors. And the Bible says, like when Jesus says, and you have to love your neighbor as yourself. So church, before I get into the meat of the content, I just want to look you all in the eyes and I want to beg you to not let your heart get numb to things like this. I'm begging you to not let your heart become hard or calloused or to become apathetic when it comes to things like this. I'm asking for you to never, ever be okay with this. I'm asking you to never get used to this. It just is what it is. No, like this should fire us up. Like this should break our hearts and this should stiffen our spines to actually do something about it. So when we're talking about this value, out of the 10 things that we could say this is who we are as a church and for us to say I'm telling you one of our values is our city is our responsibility that what that means is that we take this personally That we take the brokenness of our city personally. It means that we cannot and that we will not turn a blind eye towards these things. That we just can't sweep these things under the rug or cover our eyes and act like they don't exist. That we care enough to take personal responsibility. To not just care, but to do something about it. Listen, it's not somebody else's responsibility, It's ours. Our city is our responsibility. And that means that we will run towards the brokenness of the city, that we will not run away from the brokenness of the city, both individually and corporately together. That we've just decided that's what we're gonna do. And you know why? Because if you think about it, that's exactly what God has done for us. Think about it. The good news of the gospel is that God ran towards our brokenness, not away from it. The good news of the gospel is that he wasn't intimidated by our brokenness, is that he literally ran right into it and he cared enough to do something about it. And his name is Jesus. And in first John chapter four, verse nine and 10, it perfectly describes that God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might. I love that word might. That means he did it without knowing what would happen. He didn't do it knowing that you would accept it or not. He did it for a might, that you might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Come on, is anybody thankful for the fact that Jesus ran towards our brokenness, not away from it? He said, no, 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 no. It's my responsibility. It's not somebody else's, I'm doing it. And now guess what? We're just following his example. And so this week, as I was preparing for this message, um, one, I, we, we prepare for our messages months in advance. And, and then when it comes, and so like a lot of times I kind of know where I want to go depending on the week. And I'd already planned what we were going to talk about. Like I had this awesome message over the Good Samaritan story. And it was like, it's going to be so good and they're going to like it and, um, it's going to have three points and, you know, three point shooters to be great. It's going to be so good. And then on Wednesday afternoon, after I'd almost finished like my first draft of that message, God said, I don't want you to share that. And I was like, God, l- listen, I'm a planner and I'd already had this planned. I don't like to pivot like that. And so like, I think you're missing it. <laughs> I think I heard you before. And um, he said, I don't want you to share that. So, well, what would you want me to share? And then he sent me to Jeremiah chapter 29. And maybe when you hear that text, when you hear that chapter, you immediately think of Jeremiah 29, 11. How many of you know that verse? Okay, who is bold enough to say you know it enough to say it right now? Oh, come on, Conthy! I saw you raise your hand do you know it? Say it loud. Yep. For I know the plans I have for you plans to. Yeah. Good. Not for evil. It's good. It's great. T-shirt verse. Great. Great. You know, on a coffee mug verse. It's awesome. It's very encouraging. That's not what I'm sharing. (laughs) And uh, I'm not going to talk to you about that. Um, I'm actually going to talk to you about the verses that lead up to that scripture. Um, it's maybe something that you, that you've never heard. Maybe it's, it's not. And, and here's what I feel like my assignment is today from God. When I asked him, I felt like he said, just teach that passage. So I'm going to put on my teacher hat, not my preacher hat. I'm going to teach it. I'm going to teach it to you. And then we're going to put it into practice today. That's what we're going to do. That's my assignment today. I feel like this is an act of obedience for me to set down a good, polished message and to be able to share this and just teach this, and then we're going to put it into practice. Is that cool? Okay, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 1. Here's what it says. It says, Jeremiah, he wrote a letter from Jerusalem to the elders, priests, prophets, and all the people who had been exiled to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. Let's pause and let's make sure we understand the context So this letter is written by a prophet, Jeremiah, who under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and here's what that means. That just means that Jeremiah, like he grabbed the pen and he wrote this letter, but it was God who actually wrote the letter. And so he's writing this and he's writing from the city of Jerusalem to the Jewish people who were exiles in the place of Babylon, now, here's how these people actually got to Babylon. This is in 2 Chronicles chapter 36, starting in verse 17. By the way, this is not an encouraging few verses, but it will help you understand. Okay, so here's what it says, starting in verse 17. So the Lord, he brought the, uh, brought the king of Babylon against them, the, the Israelites. It says, the Babylonians, they killed Judah's young men, even chasing after them into the temple. They had no pity on the people, killing both young men and young women, the old and the infirm. God handed all of them over to the king, King Nebuchadnezzar. The king took home to Babylon all the articles, large and small, used in the temple of God and the treasures from both the Lord's temple and from the palace of the king and his officials. Then his army burned the temple of God, tore down the walls of Jerusalem, burned all the palaces and completely destroyed everything of value. The few who survived were taken as exiles to Babylon and they became servants to the king and his sons until the kingdom of Persia came into power. That is who Jeremiah is writing this letter to. It's the people who had been through all of that. And so it's important for you to know that's who he's writing to. It's the people who were taken from Jerusalem, from their home, from their families, so that they could go be slaves and exiles in Babylon, which was a secular, godless, foreign nation that was the world's superpower at that time. And and Babylon's goal in doing this was to destroy the Jewish culture and to essentially turn them into Babylonians. So their game plan was to indoctrinate them. Like literally they were immersing them in all things Babylonian culture. If you read Daniel chapter one, it actually talks about this and it says that they took the best and the brightest. They took all the artists. They took the leaders. They took those that were creative and they literally indoctrinated them with all things from Babylon. It says that they taught them the language. It says that they taught them the literature. And you can read all about that in the Old Testament book of Daniel. That's what Daniel went through. That's what Shadrach, Meshach and, Abed- and Abednego went through. Or if you grew up in the nineties around Tales, it's Rackshack and Benny, like those guys. Like they went through that. So Jeremiah is writing a letter to them. He's writing through all that. And their goal was to literally went and immerse them. And here was their goal. Their goal was essentially to get them to stop living and to stop thinking like God's way and to start living and to start thinking their way. Like their goal was to get them, the people of God, to compromise their convictions and conform to the culture. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Is that like, you see the parallels? That literally the same thing's happening today. We live in a culture that is trying to get the people of God to consistently compromise their convictions and conform to the culture. And now what we understand from history is that the people of God, though that they understand what's happening to them, like they understand the Babylonian like techniques and what they're trying to do. And and, and so, so their response to them doing this is that they decide to separate themselves and they decide to live away from the city. So instead of living in the city of Babylon, instead of doing that, they move as far as they could possibly move and they move right outside the city. And their whole goal in doing this was so that they could preserve their way of life and protect their faith, protect their culture, protect their values. In other words, they created like a bubble. This Christian, you know, not Christian, not yet. They were, they were it was Old Testament. So, uh, so it was like they created this, this people of God bubble on the outside of the city. They, they created essentially a city outside the city to keep their culture in, and to keep the Babylonian culture out. So they essentially, if you think about it, they created suburbs, that's what they did. So now that you know the context, here's what God through Jeremiah is saying, is writing this letter to those people in that situation. Here's what it says in verse four. It says, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says to all those, don't miss this, I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. See, right away, God shifts their perspective. See, right away, God's saying, hey guys, I placed you here. That it wasn't King Nebuchadnezzar. It wasn't Babylon that put you here. I put you here. You're here for a reason. You're not by accident. And then he goes, here's what I want you to do. Starting in verse five. I want you to build houses and settle down. I want you to plant gardens and eat what they produce. In other words, God's saying, "I want you to put down roots in this city." I don't want you to run away from this city. I want you to embrace the city. And when I was preparing for this message and I got to this place, I felt like God say, "I want you to prophetically challenge some people in the room." Specifically two groups of people. One is for those of you that have grown up here. You've grown up in Cincinnati. And there's, there's, a, there's a saying that says familiarity brings contempt. And maybe you have stopped appreciating and valuing the city. And I think God is just trying to gently encourage you. Hey, this place is amazing. Don't forget that. And then for some of you, another group is that some of you are like me. You're somebody that maybe you didn't grow up here, but God's brought you here. And maybe you have given... The city, a relational stiff arm. And you've decided to be a potted plant that at any time can go somewhere else. And what I feel like God is saying is that stop being a potted plant and put some roots down in this soil, in this city, maybe in this church, in the relationships that I put around you, at your job. And it may not be forever, but right here, right now, Don't hide. Don't stiff arm. Put your roots down in this city. Contribute. Add value. Like plant some gardens and see what it produces. (laughs) And then it goes on to say this in verse 6. Some of you are like, well, I'll do this one. Marry and have sons and daughters. Hey! Have some families. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters a marriage so that they so that they too may have sons and daughters, like think generationally. And then it says increase in number there, do not decrease. Now here's what God is saying in these verses. God's saying, like, I know that everything inside of you doesn't like what's trying to be put on you. I know that you just want to get away, that you want to separate yourselves from the city, that you want to be in an isolated, comfortable bubble with your people, who believe, think, and act like you, but that's not what I want you to do. I want you to actually plant yourself in the city, to put down some roots, to add value, to contribute, to increase. Now, don't get me wrong. God says, I don't want you to conform to the city. I don't want you to look just like the city, I don't want you to fit in. I don't want you to look just like culture, to think, believe like everybody else. No, I still want you to be who I've called you to be. I still want you to follow me and follow my ways. I just want you to do everything that you're trying to do outside of the city, like protect and preserve my values, but I want you to do it in the city. In other words, he says, like, think of it this way. I want you to be separate in values, not geography. Let me put it this way. It's like, I feel like God in these verses is is saying like, "I I don't want you to be a city outside of the city. I want you to be a city inside of the city. I want you to be a culture within a culture. I want you to be a kingdom inside of a country. I want you to be a city inside of the city. And by the way, this is a theme if you think about it throughout all the Bible. That's why Jesus, he says in John chapter 17 that you, are, that you and I, if we follow him, that we are in the world, but not of the world. That we're in the world, but we're not of the world. That's why in 2 Corinthians chapter five, it says that if you are a follower of Jesus, that you are an ambassador We actually talked about this last February. And an ambassador, I don't know if you know this, but is a representative of one country that is living inside of another country. And he's saying, that's who you are. You're living in a country, but you don't represent that country. That's why, I don't know if you've ever thought about this. It's why Jesus, he says in Matthew chapter five, and most of us know the first part that you are the light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. See, God's saying, I want you to be a city inside of a city. That's who I want you to be. And he says that, and then he goes and he gets very practical in verse seven. And he says in verse seven, he says, also, I want you to do these things. I want you to seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you, into exile pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers you too will prosper and in this simple verse in verse 7 he tells us to do three very specific things and I'm just going to shoot through these really fast he says first he says to seek the peace of the city he says that's what I want you to do I want you to seek the peace of the city now here's what this means If you look up that word peace in the original Hebrew, it's the word shalom, which means whole or complete. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, I want you to seek the wholeness or completion of the city. See, the idea here is that there are some holes. There are some gaps, there are some needs in the city and God has strategically placed you and me there and our church there to fill those holes and to fill those gaps and to meet those needs. See, God is saying like, I want you to take responsibility for the needs of the city that wherever you can go to make it whole and complete. And so in other words, let me put it this way, that there are some needs everywhere that you go. I promise you, there are needs. There's some gaps at the job that you go to in the neighborhood that you live in, that there's these gaps, these holes. And God says, hey, listen, I put you here, right here, right now in this season to actually make it whole and complete, to see a need and meet a need. Like I've created you to do that. That's what it means when he says, I am asking you to seek the peace of the city. I put you there so that you can help make it whole and complete. So look for the needs and fill it. But then he says this, he says, seek the prosperity of the city. And when you study that word, when that word prosperity, it essentially just means value, richness, or wealth. So here's what God is saying when he says, hey, I want you to seek the prosperity of the city. He's saying, listen, guys, I put you there in that city because I want you to to add value every single place that you go. Like I want you to get out of your little bubble and start loving, start serving, start giving, start meeting needs and adding value to the city that I strategically placed you in. Like you're there for a reason. I'm telling you, you are at your job for a reason. You're in your neighborhood for a reason. You're in your family for a reason. That everywhere you go, you are there for a reason. And that God's saying, hey, I want you to seek the prosperity everywhere that you go. The clients that you have are for a reason so that you can add value to them. I want you to do that. Listen, the city should be better and brighter because you're in it. He says, seek the peace of the city. Seek the prosperity of the city. And then he says, pray for the city. He says, just simply, hey, I want you to consistently pray for the city. And we're gonna do that in just a few minutes. We're going to put this into practice. But he says, hey, don't forget to pray for the city. Why? Why would he add that? It's because I don't know where you're at theologically with prayer. But let me just tell you, prayer is powerful. Prayer makes a difference. Like prayer changes things. In fact, in second Corinthians chapter 10, verse three and four, it says this, for though we live in the world, here it is again, that same theme. Hey, you're in it. But, but we, don't, we don't do things like the, the world does. Like we live in it, but we're different. We do not wage war as the, as the world does. See the weapons that we fight with, let me tell you what one of those are, It's prayer. When we have the web a prayer, a fasting, of God's word, that like of worship, that we have these weapons like prayer, that they're not weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And that's what we're about to do in the next few minutes. Is that we're going to fight and we're going to pray for our city. We're going to go to war for our city. We're going to rebuke and bind and break and demolish strongholds of fear and addiction, division, racism, hate, violence, anxiety, depression, religion, apathy, suicide. Man, we're going to do it. We're going to pray, and we're going to believe in faith for revival and a move of God in our city. Listen, Church, there has not been one move of God or revival in history that hasn't started with prayer. Like those things are birthed in prayer. That's why I'm telling you, if I'm the only one that shows up at 6.30 tomorrow, I'm gonna to be praying. And I invite you to join me. I invite you to join me on Mondays and pray. We do it at 6.30, bright and early before work, before school, because most of you, you do not have a schedule conflict. Outside of your sleep schedule. That's it. And I'm telling you, we're gonna do this. Not because it's something like ritualistic. Not because, like, and what we're gonna do is we're gonna gather tomorrow as a church and we're gonna pray and we're gonna invite God into our week. And we're gonna say, God, you are first in our life. Everything else comes after that. And we're gonna spend some time praying for the needs of our church and we're gonna pray for our church. And we're going to pray for our city. We're going to spend some time actually doing this. And we're going to do it the next Monday and the next Monday and the next Monday. We're going to do that. And I invite you to come hang out with us and join us. But we're going to do it. Why? Because we believe in the power of prayer. Like it matters. It makes a difference. So he says, hey, you want to know what to do? I want you to seek the peace of the city. I want you to seek the prosperity of the city. And I want you to pray for the city. So when you put all seven of those verses together, here's what I believe God is saying to the people in Jeremiah chapter 29. But I also think that God is saying the same thing to me and you today. I believe he's saying the same exact thing that he said way back in the day in the Old Testament in Jeremiah chapter 29 to the people of God. He's saying, people of God, I'm saying the same thing to you today. He's saying that we aren't called to run away or to hide from or be in a bubble outside the city, that we are called to be a city within a city living out the vision, the values, the standards, the practices, beliefs, and culture of God's kingdom. We are called to be separate in values, but not geography. We are called to make a difference by being different. We are called to love, to care, to serve, to give, to see and meet needs, to add value and to make things better. We are called to seek the peace and prosperity of the city. We are called to pray for our city, to demolish strongholds and to believe for revival. We are called to take responsibility of our city church. Let me know eyes, that is who we are called to be. For those of you that call this church home, you need to know this is us. Our city is our responsibility. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. And in just a moment, we are gonna pray all together and I'm excited. I believe God's gonna do something very special. But before we do that, we do wanna give you an opportunity to get right with God. And maybe you're here and you know that you're not. Maybe you're here and you've never said yes to Jesus. Like you've, you've never given him your life. You've never like received Grace. Listen, he ran into your brokenness and he paid for your sins so that you could receive what he's already done. And maybe you've never done that. Maybe you're here and you have done that. And in the past, at one point, you were living for God. You were close to God. You didn't make a decision back in the day. But for whatever reason, now you find yourself, man, I feel so far away from God. And we never want to end one service without giving you the opportunity to make sure that you're right with God. And I just want to just implore you that if you're here and you know that that's you, you know that God is knocking on the door of your heart, I want to beg you to not leave this place without getting right with God. And so if you're here and you know that you need to do that, that that's your response, that you need to make that decision today before we pray for our city, before we tear down some strongholds, before we do that, you know, man, I need to get right with God. And if you're here and you know that that's you, I am gonna ask you to take one step of faith. And that is with every head bowed and eyes closed, I do want to ask you that if you're here and you want to do that, I need to get right with God whether it's for the first time or it's all over again, I'm going to ask you on the count of three to boldly put your hand up in the air because I want to pray for you. And if you're like, I want to pray that prayer today. I need to get right with God. If you're here and that's you, I do want to ask you to boldly put your hand up in the air. There's already one that's up. If you're here and that's you on the count of three, put it up. One, two, three. I got you. I got you. I got you. It's awesome. Anybody else? Anybody else? I got you. Proud of you. Proud of you. It's awesome. You can put your hands down. Just pray something like this in your heart. Just say, Jesus, I love you. I need you. And I'm sorry that I've lived my life without you, whether it's been my whole life or whether it's been a time of my life. But right now, I repent. I change my mind. I change my direction. And I invite you into my life. Every single area of my life. Will you change me? I cannot do that myself. And will you make me brand new? God, I give you my life. I give you everything. I surrender my life to you. And right now, I receive your grace. I receive a fresh start. I receive what you've already paid for. And today, I just don't make a one-day decision. But for the rest of my life, Jesus, I choose to follow you. You You are my Lord. What you say goes, I'm following you. I thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you ran into our brokenness, that you cared enough to do something about it so that we could be made right with God. We are so grateful, and it's it's through Jesus that we pray. And everybody said amen. Church, can you do me a favor? There were some people that just made the most important decision of their life. So can you celebrate with them? Come on, can you tell them how proud you are of them? Come on, that's awesome. Awesome, 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 If there's anything in your life that we can pray for, please visit queencitypeople.com prayer. For the latest updates on our church, follow us on social media at Queen City People or visit queencitypeople.com.